take your Bible and open it now to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 18. I want to welcome back some folks who have come back from the dead today to join us for worship. Keith, good to have you back and uh, to know that you're doing so well. Praise God. I understand you said earlier this is twice this has happened to you and uh, you jumped the shark twice. So Praise God for your recovery. And um, Bob and Betty, um, Con, so good to see you today with us, back with us. We appreciate your ministry of prayer, keeping us posted on everyone's prayer needs and requests. We appreciate it so much. And uh, Tommy Short and Bonnie, welcome back. This is your lucky day, Tommy. I, I'm going to only preach about 20 minutes today. Tommy falls asleep if I go any longer than 20 minutes, and Bonnie has to wake him up. Um, but I, I do plan to cut my sermons a little shorter. Somebody said, oh, don't do that. Well, come back next Sunday and get a little more, you know. Uh, save a little for later as well. Um, I'm finding that people, after about 20 minutes, they, uh, they quit listening. Somebody told me this week, said, if you're drilling for oil, if you don't strike oil after 20 minutes, uh, stop digging so I took that advice in, but not because of, of that saying, but because of, uh, I want to be steward of your time, and uh, we do have a lot of good activities scheduled here at our church, and one you see in the front here is this um, shovel that's going to be used on the Sunday of the chicken dinner, and um, I'm glad we're having the chicken first, and then we're going to dig afterwards, that makes a lot of sense, um, but um, uh, be sure and be here for that. Uh, that's next Sunday, I think, isn't it? Yeah, that's next Sunday. So we're looking forward to those things. I've invited a lot of friends from Louisville to come down and be a part of our worship here. I said, if you'll come next Sunday, we'll have, we're going to have a chicken dinner, and uh, you'll be blessed, and uh, the fellowship's good. The chicken is delicious. And so maybe, uh, maybe they'll come. Luke chapter 18 is our text for today as we look at a parable about the, the publican and the Pharisee. Uh, the publican or the tax collector, if you will, and the Pharisee. Now, we need to get a little idea of the context here before we uh, open up this scripture. You need to understand that the Pharisee is the kind of self-righteous person that you could hardly stand to be in the presence of. If a Pharisee stood in the pulpit today and tried to preach to you, I don't believe you could last 20 minutes. I think you'd get up and leave after about five. I really do. They were that obnoxious, and they were that arrogant. They were exactly that self-righteous and quick to let you know about it. And uh, so uh, it was hard to hear them uh, say religious things knowing that they knew the scriptures, but they didn't know the Lord of the scripture. Uh, they, they knew how to quote the Bible, but they used it to their personal advantage. Uh, much like I saw when I was in the desert, I learned that uh, the Arabic people follow the Koran uh, to the letter. 
And uh, yet they uh, leave town for a weekend, go up into Germany or in Europe, and um, live a life of riotous living, as the prodigal son is explained. And you say, how, how can they do that? How, how, can you, how can you disobey the law about adultery, thou shalt not commit adultery, and yet uh, go spend the weekend up in Europe and then come back? Well, what they do is they divorce their wife before they leave. And they have the right to do that. So having divorced their wife, they're not committing adultery by having a party on the weekend up in Europe. And then when they fly back down, they remarry their wife. Isn't that a clever way to get around the law? And so can you imagine somebody with that kind of self-righteous attitude claiming to be right with God, uh, standing here and uh, trying to preach to you about how to obey the law and knowing that he himself did everything he could to um, abuse people with the law. And then there's this publican. He is the most hated person in town. He's the person that people like to dislike. Um, every society has one person we like to dislike. And uh, we just like to rag about them and, and um, uh, say all kinds of terrible things about them. Because it has a way of putting, projecting our stuff onto them so that we don't have to look at ourselves, but we look at him. And that's how people treated tax collectors in their day. They were the most hated people. Uh, being tax time, I thought this might be an obvious passage for us to deal with today. But this tax collector had a quite different spirit than the public, I mean, than the Pharisee. He was very humble. And he did not exalt himself. And because he was humble, uh, Jesus teaches us about the rewards of being humble before God. Let's pray before we read our scripture. Father, we ask that you will speak to us in this brief time together that we would hear a fresh word from the Lord. God, that you would guide us and give us more instruction, a fresh word. Uh, Lord, that we can be better disciples better followers of Jesus Christ, and that Christ be glorified and honored in our life. And I pray that today if someone here is trying to live a life of uh, cowardice, a life of uh, a pretense, a life of show but not any fruit to bear, I pray, Lord, that there will be a, a turning point where we say, like the publican, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And I pray, Lord, that salvation would come to some person today, some young person, some adult, who needs to give their life to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Verse 9 says, He also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in uh, themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That pretty much describes the Pharisee. And that's the audience to whom Jesus is teaching. And that's another reason why Jesus made people so angry is that he spoke truth to them. And they didn't want to hear the truth. And the truth of God, the Bible says, is like a two-edged sword that can pierce your soul to the bone and the marrow. It can really get to the heart of the matter. And Jesus does that with a parable. Now, a parable is a short story with one main point. 
The parable is a short story with one main point. And I hope that you can go home with at least one main point from this passage today. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Both would have been Jewish. Um, Both would have been uh, known in the community. One would have been known because he wanted everybody to see him. He prayed in public, and he wanted everybody to hear his public prayers, his verbose words, his articulation of doctrine and understanding of God. And while he's praying, the kids in the background are going, you know, asleep. When is this guy going to sit down and be quiet so we can get on uh, with the service? Um, So very uh, um, self-promoting, very narcissistic. If you were in his presence, he would always talk about himself. Always talking about me. It's all about me. And he would use people as objects to accomplish what he wanted done. And that's the mark of a narcissist. People are objects to be used for themselves for a selfish purpose. And so that's what this Pharisee is like. He's very narcissistic. It's all about him. And uh, people don't count. Other people don't count what they need, what they uh, strive for. Uh, That doesn't count for the narcissist. He is self-absorbed and self-righteous and glad to let you know it. A Pharisee would be wearing a cloak. And on that cloak he would have, um, like if it were, awards that he had received. Merit badges, if you will, to let you know just how uh, up in society he was. So I told you you couldn't hardly stand the Pharisee if he were here. So two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. Now he'd be Jewish also, but he would be known in the community as the person you wanted to avoid. And he made his living by collecting taxes from people, charging a little extra, and the extra that he charged that he didn't turn into uh, uh, Caesar was for his salary for him to keep. So, like I'll go on Monday mornings, I'll go into, um, uh, this Monday I'm going to go get Linda's car repaired, and when I go to the big old place to do that, I always say, guys, I need need an oil change. We had a great offering last Sunday. And I want you to change my oil in my car. And they'll just laugh at me. Um, but this tax collector, he would have a good offering. He always had a good offering. And um, people resented him because he took more than what they should be paying in taxes. In verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was thus praying to himself. Isn't that an insight that we need to think about? He wasn't praying to God. He was praying to himself. He was exalting himself. He wasn't exalting the Lord. Even though he spoke to God, he was praying thus to himself. It doesn't get more narcissistic than that. Praying to himself. And he says these words, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people. I want you to think about that a minute. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Now, I'm going to admit to you, I lived 29 years in the Air National Guard with that attitude. Now, I wasn't uh, 
was too pharisaic about it nor narcissistic. But I really thought, you know, people around me at my age, five in my high school class have already passed away by now. And uh, here I am passing the, the physical fitness test every year for 29 years without interruption. I didn't get out and go back in, you know, get out, go have surgery, and then come back in. 29 straight years. And I just prayed, Lord, I thank you that I have the health that I have and I'm not like other people. And then that all changed. And I had to have my colon removed. Now I'm like other people. <laughs> I've been through rehab. I know what it's like to go up to the breakfast table early in the morning. And whatever they decide to fix for you, that's what you're going to have. And you just hope that it's good. I know what it's like to introduce myself to a group of people whom I know some of them will not go home. They are there until they pass away. I know what it's like now to be on a walker and can barely put one foot in front of the other and then ba and brag to the therapist that I made an extra round around that, uh, around that little uh, walk area. I know what it's like now. I know what it's like to be like other people. And that has been a humbling experience in my walk with the Lord. It truly has. And uh, Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he wanted removed. And he prayed three times that God would take it away. But he's learned how to be like other people. To live with a thorn in your flesh that prayer will not remove. But the grace of God will give you what you need to deal with it. And that's real life. That's real discipleship. Uh, that's the real world. And Paul said, the Lord said to me, I don't need to remove that, that uh, thorn from your flesh. He said, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. And so Paul learned to be like other people. And I'm learning to be like other people too. And live with deficiencies. Live with limitations. Uh, live knowing that um, I have to work at being uh, who I am more than I used to. I used to be a lot more mobile than I am. But I am running again. I'm jogging again. Tommy, I don't jog very fast. I'm, I'm like the pit-pat, pit-pat, pit-pat guy going down the road, you know. You wouldn't have to to catch you. Huh? But, um, but I'm making progress, but all by the grace of God. All by the grace of God. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. Now, a man that prays that way is praying to himself. He's really not praying to God. He's praying to himself. One time LBJ asked the chaplain to lead in prayer at a cabinet meeting. And the chaplain began to pray. He's kind of mumbling while he's praying. LBJ spoke up and said, Chaplain, would you speak a little louder? We can't hear you. And the chaplain whispered back to the president, I wasn't talking to you. I wasn't talking to you. 
Well, sometimes we just pray and our prayers, we're just talking to ourselves. And when we pray a self-righteous prayer, we're just talking to ourselves. We're not really talking to the Lord. When we're bragging on ourselves, we're not, we're not talking to the Lord. We're just talking to ourselves. I'm not like other people. Then began, begins to name all the sinners around him. Uh, swindlers, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He has probably just named every fault that other people have pinned onto the tax gatherer or tax collector of his time. That's his reputation. God, I thank you that I don't have his reputation. Now, I'm going to tell you, a man who's not in touch with his sinfulness uh, does not need or desire the mercy of God. A man, a woman, a boy, a girl who's not in touch with our own sinfulness, we know the sins of others but not ourselves, is a person that does not desire or want the mercy of God. And it is a person whose life is to be most pitied. There is no amount of religion, no amount of religion that can compensate for that posture. It is a pitiful condition to be in. Listen to verse 12 in all his religiosity. I fast twice a week. Jesus said when you fast, don't tell anybody. And if you do, you've already received the reward that you desire. And that is public opinion and what other people think about you. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I'm a tither. I'm a prayer. I thank thee that I'm not like other people. Are you tired of the Pharisee already? I know I am. I'm just sitting here listening to all this. I want them to move on. Don't you? Just get out of the room. We don't need you. You're taking up space. <laughs> Make room for other people that are genuine and honest. That's the folks that God receives. Those are the people that God desires to be in fellowship with. The people that are genuine and honest before God. And here comes this tax collector. One whose reputation in the community is not good, but we have not judged his heart yet. Standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but he was beating his breast and saying to God, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner. Now the Pharisee never named himself as the sinner. He was above sin in his self-righteousness. But the tax collector, who was named a sinner in the community, or by the community, labeled as the sinner by the community, called out to God and said, God, have mercy upon me. Now I can thank God that I am like other people. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. And that's what I love about the church. The church is not a collection of perfect people. The church is a collection of people who need to be healed. People who desire to be restored to God. This is a hospital, not a museum or a showplace. 
This is like a hospital. This is where we come to be healed. This is where we come to be restored. And that healing comes from mindfulness of my lost condition before God. It starts by my understanding that I am lost in my sin before God. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of my sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and I am willing to call out and pray, God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. That is true self-awareness. That is true, authentic repentance. That is true, authentic living. Lord, I am the sinner in the room. I'm the sinner. That's pretty profound, isn't it? I am the sinner in the room. Salvation begins for you when you're willing to say, I'm the sinner in the room, and I want to be saved. I want Christ to be my Lord and my Savior, and I want to believe in Him and trust Him and Him only for salvation. Now that is called humility. And in the next verse, as we conclude here, we find the, uh, the mode uh, or the posture of humility and what it brings this man. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. What do we think of this man named Moses in the Bible? We exalt him as the number one prophet of the Old Testament. We exalt him as being the man who authenticates what it means to put trust in God. And yet the Bible says of Moses, there was not a more humble man that walked the face of the earth. And yet this humble man had prayer authority before God because he would pray for the Israelites that God would stay his hand of punishment. And God heard Moses' prayer, and God stayed his hand of punishment and did not punish the people of Israel. He withheld his punishment by the appeal of a humble servant named Moses. That's the power of prayer of a man who is humble before God. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And that righteousness comes through humility. Not through a self-righteousness, but a, a righteousness that begins by saying, Lord, you be righteous God in me. And when Jesus is righteous God in us, then we will truly be a prayer warrior. Stories told about a preacher boy that had his first sermon, and he got up to preach, and as he went up to the pulpit, he was so proud of and he preached, and he preached about five minutes, and he just came to a halt. He just couldn't preach anymore. It was kind of embarrassing because he had worked out a 30-minute sermon in his, in his notes and his studies. And so he gave the invitation. Nobody came forward. It was a very awkward moment. And he left the pulpit, and he left just, just, just all beat down. I, I've been there. I did that one time. I was about the third sermon I ever preached was uh, at my little home church and uh, I remember getting up to preach and just went nowhere and I know what that's like and I went down from the pulpit my dad put his arm around me walked me out to the car gave me all kinds of encouragement that was the only sermon my mother ever heard me preach my mother died shortly after that 
I made a pledge to God, I will never stand in the pulpit again without being prepared. I will not let that happen. And this young man that got up like I did, and he preached his sermon, didn't last very long, and he went, and he just kind of, you know, made his way back down to the pew and sat down. One of the deacons said to the other, you know, if he had gone up in the pulpit like he went down, he'd have went down like he come up. And that's what humility will do for you. Humility allows the mercy and the grace of God to take control of your life and make something beautiful out of you. The mercy of God will take you and the, the adjustments that you're having to make in your life and the challenges that you're having to face, and He, through His grace, will sustain you. But you must go in humility. You must go in an in a, in a outlook of uh, mindfulness and gratitude. A gratitude, a grateful heart is a humble heart. And uh, when you find people who are not humble, like the Pharisee, you'll find a person who's not grateful. He should have stood before the Lord and said, God, I am grateful that I have this and I have that. I have theological education. I have status in the community. I have wealth that I can tithe. God, I just praise you and I thank you. But no, he didn't have all that. Instead, he had a pride, and a self-righteousness. And Jesus wants us to be clear today about our posture before Him as a disciple. Will we be humble or will we be self-righteous? Will we compare ourselves to others, which leads to sin, or will we say, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me, make me a better Christian? Make me a more faithful disciple. Uh, make me to use my gifts for your glory and for your honor. That's the choice that we have to make. It begins with humble awareness that the, fair, uh, the, uh, the publican said, God have mercy upon me, the sinner. Lord, we thank you that we have been given mercy and grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This does not come by works. This does not come by self-righteousness. It comes simply by humble faith. And I know there's someone here today that's ready to give their life to you, and I pray that during this invitation they'll come and say, I give my life to the Lord. I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm going to live forever. I pray that they'll come while we sing this hymn of response. Maybe there's another family wishing to unite with our church from a sister church of like faith and order. Lord, we receive them as well. And we do so with gratitude. Hearts of humility, knowing that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and we all need the mercy of God. And may we go forward together under the mercy of Almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. 
If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.